Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I, as you have just heard, write faith books. Um, I've been in ministry a long time, and uh, during COVID, I just felt a nudge from God to write a book on step parenting, and it was a little bit of a left turn. My my book agent even was like, are you sure this is kind of over here? And I said, no, I really feel like God wants me to write this book. And I can't tell you how touched I am to hear your story and um, to realize that there are people that are out there that needed this. And I just felt that from God. But today's sermon is called Grace for Imperfect Families. Now, I know all of you are perfect, but this is for everyone around you that you live with, and hopefully they'll get a word this morning that they need. But truthfully, all of us are imperfect, and we come from imperfect, and some of us continue to find ourselves in imperfect situations. For me, it began when I graduated high school, and I had just become a Christian, and I went off to college just as my parents were divorcing, and it was a very sad divorce. They were married 19 years. And five years later, my dad met and married someone that is three years older than me. So at 22, I welcomed a 25-year-old stepmom into my life, and you can only imagine what a wonderful day that was for me. (laughs) Incredible. No girl dreams of that for her life story, and that has been a life story that has continued to change, and you'll hear a little bit more about how that has evolved. But that was the family I came from. My, My mom also remarried. She married someone who was actually 11 years older, so they went opposite directions. So we had quite the blended family, welcomed a couple of half sisters and a stepsister into the mix. And then I proceeded to begin to pray to get married. And I wasn't really the ring by spring gal in college. I know some people go to college looking for that MRS degree. That wasn't me. I wanted to get married at about 28, and that's what I informed God that I wanted to get married at about that time. I don't know how many of you have tried to instruct God on some of the things in your life, but I don't know how it's going for you. It's not going very well for me. Because I hit 30 and I still wasn't married, so I began to pray louder. And I was starting to speak all around the country, so I recruited other people in the prayer. I thought, the more the merrier. And there were people all over the United States saying, Lord, please bring this girl a husband. I thought, surely now I will meet the man of my dreams. And when I hit 40 and was still single, I began to suspect that God was deaf. I don't know if you've ever had that fleeting thought, but maybe some of you in this room have had a prayer that you've prayed a long, long time. And you're wondering, God, do you even hear me? So when at 42, 
I finally got engaged, I want to tell you that the hallelujah chorus broke out in my household. My dad was like, thank you, Jesus, and he doesn't even pray that way. I mean, we were so excited. My mom promptly gave me two bridal showers with all her friends who had been waiting so long to do this for me. And so I had all these shower gifts, and then I went and bought my wedding dress, which was the most beautiful dress you've ever seen. And I had my bridesmaids' dresses, and just... About two months short of my wedding date, my fiancé actually got deployed. He was a Marine reservist. And that was actually how I met my ministry partner, Melissa, who you'll meet at the, at the book table. I hope you'll meet her afterwards. She was uh, married to a colonel who was going to be deployed at the same time. And the military chaplain said, you two should meet each other. And so we became immediate friends. And he went off, and he was gone nine months. I thought, I've waited this long. I can wait this much longer. And unbeknownst to me, in the course of his deployment, his ex-wife, who had actually left him, began having second thoughts about their relationship and was communicating with him. And so when he came home, we actually broke up, and he remarried his ex-wife, which I always say is a wonderful story if you're not the girl engaged to the guy. And I like to tell people, you know, there were well-meaning Christians who said, well, isn't it great that God used you to bring them back together? And I'm like, you know what? It's fabulous, and I hope you have the same opportunity someday. (laughs) But in all seriousness, coming from where I came from, a divorced family myself, I knew that the story was great. When two people can find their way back together, especially when there are children involved, that is a good story. That's a God story. But I sure didn't like my part in it. And I couldn't understand why the God that I loved so much and had been serving for so long could think that I was strong enough to endure that. And of course, when finally I ended up taking a call in a church through a series of events um, that came out of nowhere, and I ended up in Santa Barbara, which everyone said was the home of the newlywed and nearly dead, that there were no single people in Santa Barbara. And I said, perfect. That's exactly where God's sending me. Well, lo and behold, there was one single person in Santa Barbara. And God showed a way to bring this story together with the man of my dreams. And because you all were not at my wedding, I'm just going to show you a two-minute clip of the day of when I turned 49 and I got married. So let's watch. Anne Lamott says there are three words that sum up the content of our prayers. And by the way, that was the dress I bought for fiancé number one. The way I see it, help is what we pray when we can't see our way out. Thanks is what we pray when we see what we have. And wow is what we pray when we see God. It's that third prayer I experienced the day I got married. As I walked down the aisle two months after my 49th birthday, God showed me that whatever happens in our lives, we should never end the story too soon. No matter how old we are, or how late it seems, or how much damage has been done, endings can always pave their way to new beginnings. So on November 7th, 2009, these were the tender words I heard from the pastor as I stood at the altar. Lori, you are here at the altar, girl. (laughs) 
and Jerry is here, Chuck and we are gonna get this done today. And would you believe it? We did. Now it's my privilege to introduce to all of us Mr. and Mrs. Short. There were inklings of the broken road that led us to this place. With a child that had come from another marriage and a wedding dress that had been purchased for another day, loss was an underlying presence in our joy. Oddly, it seemed to deepen it. As people applauded and cried, it was as much an acknowledgement of loss as a celebration of grace. They were two sides of the same story and both made the story what it was, amazing grace. Now I know some of you are saying, now why is she showing that video at the beginning of the sermon? Isn't that the end? Surely that's the end when we go to the movies, isn't it? Well, as you all know, any of you who have been married, that is just the beginning of a long journey ahead. And of course, knowing that I married into a situation where there was a little boy, you know that that was just the beginning of the journey for me. And I don't know whether, how many of you are in that situation where you're in a blended family, like David and Aaron, or if you're just here and in in an imperfect family, which all of us are, I'm hoping today we'll have a word for everybody here. And even if you're single. Because I know that I used to sit through series on marriages and families in churches and sometimes feel like the odd man out because I was single for so long. But I have a word for even for the single people that are here today or those of you who have found yourself single at this season of your life. So we're going to look at a scripture that is actually in Ephesians. Paul talks to families in Ephesians towards the end of that book, but it's really at the beginning of that book that he sets the precedent for how we should be in our families, whether it's your family of origin, family of choice, or if it's your blended family. And here's what he says, and here's the scripture that we are going to focus on this morning. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We're going to just take this verse apart and talk about what is Paul saying here. The first thing he says is he prays that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. Isn't that interesting language? We, our eyes are here, and yet he's praying for the eyes of our heart to be opened. It's as if Paul knows that we need to see differently. How do you see when you see with your heart? You see with grace, and you lead with grace. And in a world of imperfect people, including ourselves, we have to lead with grace if we want to have relationships with anybody. And what does that look like? There's a great picture of grace in the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. If you're not, you should look it up later. It's it's found in Luke 15, and of course, most 
pastors, when they're preaching on that, focus on the prodigal because the prodigal asks the dad for his inheritance early, runs away, squanders it all, prostitutes, wild living. He finds himself finally in a pig pen, longing for the food that the pigs are eating, and finally just, it dawns on him, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to have to beg to get back with him, but I'm going to go back. And he's practicing his speech the whole way back. And lo and behold, as he's on that road going to the father that he took everything from and left and squandered, and that dad had been waiting for him every day. And he ran down that road, and he embraced that prodigal. And some of you have felt that embrace from God because you've been that prodigal. But what I want to talk about is the older brother. The older brother was home doing everything right. The older brother was not squandering the inheritance. In fact, he was waiting for his inheritance like the proper boys should do. And yet, he watches his father longing for the younger brother to come home and then running on the road towards the younger brother and embracing the younger brother and then, of all things, giving a party for the younger brother. And you can only imagine how the elder brother felt. And I wonder if any of you are that role in your situation, where you've seen this grace upon grace for others, but you've been trying to do everything right. Where's the fairness in this? I've come to realize, particularly in blended families, and really in every family, that you have to abandon the need for fairness in order to lead with grace, which is what God wants us to do. Well, that elder brother was sitting at that party, and he couldn't take it anymore. He went outside. And what I love about the father is he leaves the party to go to his other son because he loves him just as much. And he says, you've got to come inside. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was lost and now he's found. Come, join in the celebration. And that's where the elder brother has a choice, doesn't he? Am I going to abandon what's fair to embrace the grace that's being shown here? And I love that the Father says, everything I have is yours. So we can draw from God's grace when we don't have it ourselves. And believe me, brothers and sisters, there are times in my family, I don't know about yours, but when I don't have it myself, and I've got to draw from that grace. But God gives us that power. He's inside of us, and he gives us that power, especially when we're desperate for it. Maybe especially when we need it. And the second thing is that you have the ability to see what is beyond what you see. You see the bigger story beyond the present situation. I wrote a book called When Changing Nothing Changes Everything. And this is when I started thinking about this, how your perspective affects so much of your life. And that is so true. How you see things impacts the way you respond to the things. And that actually makes a difference in what happens next. So the way you see is crucial. And we have to see beyond what's in front of us sometimes, don't we? Because what's in front of us looks pretty hopeless and awful. And so we have to recognize that we're in the chapter of a much bigger story. That was true for me when I broke my engagement. 
It was the worst time of my life. And brothers and sisters, I had to speak three days later and bring the love and hope of Jesus to a crowd of people when I was not feeling it myself. But you know what I learned at that speaking engagement when I went on my face before God and I said, how am I going, am I supposed to fake it? Because I can't tell my story. People are going to walk away from you. And I heard him say, don't you worry about me, little girl. You tell your story. And so I did. And I got to the end of my story while I was speaking and I looked up and everyone was like, because there was no ring. There was no husband at that point. But I said, but I know one thing for certain, and maybe this is the word for some of you here today. I got up this morning, and I'm still breathing. So God isn't through with my story. He has more for my story. And I don't know if I'll ever get married, but I know one thing for sure. I am banking on the love of God, even though I don't see it right now. I'm in the middle of the story, and I was I thank God every day that God took that other man away because the man that he gave me, that he had for me, was so much more right for me. But there's brokenness in the journey, isn't there? And you have to look at it as the middle of the story. And that's the second part of what, what Paul says. It's the hope to which he has called you. Now, I don't know if you know this about hope, but you can't have hope unless you don't have hope. Did you know that? That's right, that's what Paul says in Romans 8, 24. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? No, hope is there when you don't have what you want. That's when you have an opportunity for hope because you know your story isn't over. Some of you maybe need to jar your neighbor right now because we just had a time change and you thought you were coming to the 11 o'clock service. So some of you are here going, man, this is, I don't know, I'm not up yet. So would you just turn to the person next to you and say, your story isn't over? Would you just turn to that person and say, your story isn't over? Even if you don't know them, your story isn't over. Your story isn't over and you don't know what's going to happen next. And I want to share with you a Chinese fable that was so helpful for me. It's about a man that was in a village, and he had one horse, and that horse did all of his work, and he also had one son to help him. And this horse one day ran away, and all of the villagers came and said, oh my gosh, this is so terrible, you lost your horse. And he said to them, it could be good, it could be bad. All I know is that I lost my horse. Well, now the villages are puzzled and they walk away. And then lo and behold, that horse comes back to the man with 10 other wild horses in tow. So now the man has 11 horses and the villagers come running and they go, oh my gosh, this is so great. Oh my gosh, you have 11 horses. It could be good. It could be bad. All I know is I have 11 horses. So now the villagers are scratching their head and his son was breaking in one of the wild horses and then fell from the horse and broke his leg. And now he couldn't help his father. So now the villagers come running again. Oh my gosh, what are you gonna do? It could be good, it could be bad. All I know is my son has a broken leg. And then a war broke out and all the able-bodied men were drafted in that village. But the son was left behind to continue to help the father. And the wisdom of the man's words were seen because what 
they thought was bad turned out to be good. You do not know if the circumstances in front of you, as bad as they look, might be part of a story that's going to lead to something very good. And so when Paul wants you to look beyond what's in front of you, that's truth. That's wisdom. Because there is a bigger story than you can see. And so often we have to live our present with the future in mind. And that is the hope to which he has called you. That's the long view. I don't know if you're into movie therapy, but there are some movies that just speak to us. And one of those for me was The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Did anyone see that movie? It was such a good movie. I recommend it. Go home and, and, and find it. But it was a story about some retired people who go to this hotel that they all read about on a brochure, and everything breaks. Everything goes wrong. And the, the guy that works at the hotel is so precious. And everyone's running around him chaotically, and he just stops. And he says, everything will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not the end. And sometimes we have to hold on to that. Hold on to that in your story. And that's the next part of what Paul says, the riches of his glorious inheritance. That's the part of the prodigal son where the father says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. The inheritance that awaits us, the inheritance that's available to us, God's love that can flow through us and what he has waiting for us at the end of our story the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now this is where, and this is probably going to be my next book after the one that's coming out in January, I want to write a book called The Next Verse. Because every time you're reading a verse, I have one of my books is called 40 Verses, and I noticed that it was the next verse that really explained the verse before. And sometimes we get too focused on the promise verses, and we don't know what's around those verses. Well, here's the next verse. Paul explains what he's just said. What is that power? Paul says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So in other words, if things look dead and hopeless in your situation, congratulations. You're in a great place for God to move because that is his specialty. And as I was thinking and praying about this sermon and coming to the end of this for families, I thought about where I was all the way up until I was 49 years old. And I have to tell you guys that when I share my testimony to college students and I say, and at 49 I got married, you can see the girls go to prayer. No, God, please, no. I love her story, but I don't want her story, you know. I mean, it just sounds so like, I mean, nobody dreams of getting married at 49. But it was God's dream for me. And I'm actually going to be showing more of the continuation of the story in the workshop that we're going to be doing. And uh, David told me that if you didn't already sign up for that workshop on blended families, you can still come. They've planned for some extras. And I would really encourage you to come because we're going to be giving you some handles on how to live what looks like a fairy tale at the beginning and is definitely not a fairy tale as you're living it. 
but it's in that place that God moves. And I actually just made another video that is part two of the one you just saw, and Springwell in the workshop is going to be the first one to see it. So maybe that'll motivate you a little bit. Um, but I wanted to, to end with a word for people who maybe find themselves in a situation where you're not in a family or your family is broken. And maybe this is your family. This church is your family. I know for many years I was so lonely and maybe somebody in here feels that. I was just so lonely. My heart longed for marriage. And I was so self-absorbed about that sometimes that God really spoke to me at a certain season of my life. It was my late 30s, early 40s. And I decided that what I needed to do was get into a place where people were in more pain than I was. Because let's face it, my pain was singleness but I had a very comfortable life. And I had done enough mission trips and gone into the inner city and seen enough things to know that there were people that had it a lot harder than I did. And I felt like I needed a dose of that, a dose of that perspective in my life. So I started volunteering in downtown LA. And I worked with an organization called Say Yes, Save America's Youth Yes. And they ran an after-school program for kids in a a church right on 6th and San Pedro. It was in the middle of the inner city. And these kids, their parents either lived in uh, tents on the street or in shelters, or they, if they were lucky enough, they got to rent rooms in hotels by the month. Now, these are not hotels you would even want to be, let alone your children. Drug-infested, urine on the floors, I mean, just awful places. This is where these kids lived, and most of them had never seen anything outside of that environment. So I, in my little suburban self, am in this place just with these kids and trying to help them a little bit with their homework after school. And there was one girl, and she was 11 years old. I'll never forget when I first saw her. She had this beautiful smile. But I could tell she kind of wore the same clothes all the time, and I didn't know what her story was. So I asked the director, and he said, oh, yeah, that's Seneca. She, she unlike the other kids, actually lives with her dad. Most of the kids lived, lived with their mom and didn't have a dad. Well, she lived with her dad because her mom was a drug addict and her dad had fathered about 20 different kids, all with different women, and she was the only one that, that ended up with him. And God began to speak to me. Now, I don't know if um, you've ever felt this nudge inside, but it was all of a sudden it was like, Lori, you've been praying so hard to be a wife and a mom. God, please let me be a wife. Please let me be a mom. If you're not hung up on the biology piece, I've got a lot of kids who need a mom. And he began to speak to me like, why don't you spend time with this girl? You've got the time. Now, I don't know what you do when God starts talking to you about something, but I usually do the very spiritual act of arguing with God about why I can't do that particular thing. And that went on for a little bit, and finally I overcame that, and I went up to her and I said, how would it be if I came early on Tuesdays and picked you up from school? I had no idea what I was going to do with her. And of course she said, great. So I picked her up, and I thought, the first thing that came to my mind is, why don't you show me where you live? And she had never been anywhere, remember, outside of this environment, so she was actually proud as she took me by the hand through this drug-infested, rat-infested, urine-in-the-hallways place to her room. 
there was a Bunsen burner where they cooked their food. Her, her clothes were in the bathtub. I could tell prostitutes had been in and out of her living space her whole life. It was awful. And the only thing I could think of to do, super spiritual, I said, well, let's grab your clothes and let's go to the laundromat. <laughs> that's all I could think of to do. And so she said, okay. So that's what we did. Week after week, we went to the laundromat. But as you know, it's not about the thing you do when you get in relationship with people. When God calls you to someone, it's about the relationship that's happening while you do the thing you do. And that verse about becoming the fragrance of Christ took on a whole new meaning for me. That was my ministry. But that wasn't the point. The point was what was happening between us. Eventually, I asked the director if I could take her with me to my apartment for an overnight. She just loved it. She became like another granddaughter in my home. She came to Thanksgiving, she came to Christmases, and then one day when she was 15 years old, I started noticing that she was putting on weight. And you never say anything to a girl about putting on weight, so I didn't. And then after a while, I was like, I've got to get this girl to the doctor. And sure enough, she was five months pregnant and did not even know it. She was so disconnected from her body. Lord knows what she saw. But... Because she had been outside of Skid Row, she made the only decision that any girl that I worked with made to give her baby up for adoption. She said, I want my baby to have the life I did not have. And so when she decided, we poured through adoption books, she picked a couple, and then the baby was born three weeks early, and on the way to the hospital, I got a call from the adoption agency that the couple fell through. They decided they wanted a girl. And I could not believe it. And I got to the hospital, and I want you to see the baby that I saw when I walked in. He was on a bassinet, and she was in her bed. It wasn't like a normal hospital, really. It was kind of a rundown hospital. And so she, he was just lying there in the bassinet. And I just walked over to this little child, and I prayed over him, and I said, I am going to do everything I can to find you a home. And I just prayed God's spirit. And I knew she would take the baby back after a while. The baby went into foster care. And uh, we, I was having dinner with a friend of mine who had four kids. And they were all in Christian schools. All my friends had kids. And they were all married. I was a professional bridesmaid. Then I was a professional shower goer. You know, the whole nine yards. And so I'm with my friend who's with her four kids. And she said, you know, this is going to sound so weird, but I know a couple at my school. They're both teachers, and they've been trying to have kids for seven years. And all the parents have been praying for them. And they haven't been able to have a baby. And I said, well, do you think they'd be open to talking to me? And she said, I have no idea. But there must be some reason why we're having this conversation. And so sure enough, I called this couple up, and they said, yes, we'd love to meet her. And I want you to see the next picture shows this beautiful couple with a high five and a yes. My girl, who's in the middle, Seneca, decided that this was going to be the couple to have her baby. And what is so beautiful about this is the baby was half Mexican and half African-American, and Lisa's Puerto Rican, and Tim is Indian black, so the baby looks like it came from them. But you know what? This couple... This beautiful couple, this family, this couple was never able to have biological children. And because of their experience with Seneca and Timothy, their baby, they decided that their family was supposed to be inner city moms, kids. And so they adopted two more boys from inner city girls. 
and their beautiful family, their adopted family. They had open adoptions, so their kids could always see their biological parent, but they raised these boys. And what's beautiful, and probably the only thing about that's beautiful about growing old is that you actually get to see more of the story. And that's a little bit in the theme of my new book is just God's mysterious timing. But here we are all these years later. And now I want you to see a picture of Timothy with Tim and Lisa. And what he is doing at that table is he's signing a full ride basketball scholarship at Vanguard Christian University in Orange County, California. His life was completely transformed. And brothers and sisters, I got to be the midwife to deliver him because I said, God, get me outside of myself. Help me see the people who need love. Help me see the family that I can be a part of. It might not be biological, but you always have people for me to love. And this next picture is going to show you Seneca as an adult. And that's her with her firstborn. She had three more kids. She lives in an apartment downtown. She ended up graduating from high school, went to one year at Azusa Pacific University. We raised all the money. She didn't make it through, but gosh, she is so much better than where she came from. And all because I said, Lord, get me out of myself. Let me realize that life is more than focusing on my own problems. That there's always families for us to love if we're not hung up on the biology piece. And we're going to be talking more about what it is to be called, and that's what I'm calling it, called to a blended family. Because when you are called, it's complicated and it's messy, but you are there for a reason. You're there for a reason. And you are where you are for a reason, too. And I have a quote from Grace-Filled Step Parenting, and I think they have it, which says this, the more you open your heart, the bigger your family becomes. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite the pastor up. So let's pray. I'm just going to invite you, just as a response to this sermon, um, Maybe just to put your hands in your lap with your palms up, just in a a spirit of just receiving. And I want you just to take a moment of silence. What was was the God word for you today? Where did God turn up the volume? And I know it's going to be different for everybody because you're all in different situations. But what did God speak to you this morning? Just take a minute to think about that. I know there might even be some people in here that um, aren't even sure who you are. But I sense that your Holy Spirit is speaking and moving. And so I just pray for each person here with our palms out, God, that we would just be open to what you have for us, the life you have for us, the choices you want us to make, the hard situations in our life that you want us to face with your help, with your grace, 
with eyes to see beyond what we see. God, I pray that we can leave here different than we came in and that we know we're empowered by you and your spirit to live whatever story we have in whatever chapter we're in. So help us live it with your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. She uh, was amazing, was she not? Thank you for uh, your willingness to, to share your story, Laurie. Uh, I know that you certainly touched my heart and challenged me, and uh, I appreciate that. So there is a workshop that she's going to lead after the second service, 12-15. It'll be next door. If you have not signed up for that, it's okay. Uh, there'll be lunch, extra lunches that we've ordered, and so you can be a part of that. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm not really a part of a blended family. It doesn't matter. We're all broken, right? So I know that there's something that you can learn. So I would definitely, if I were you, I would want to make plans to come back so I could be here uh, for that workshop. Uh, there is a, uh, she, all her books are in the lobby. And you'll have an opportunity to pick up one of those books. And I'm sure that you will be like David and Aaron, that they'll find, you'll find truth, something for you to grab hold of, uh, a truth that will radically change your life. So I encourage you uh, to please uh, pick, up, pick up one of those books. Maybe you're here this morning and you walk through the doors and you're not a follower of Jesus. And let's just be honest, maybe the reason that you walk through the doors of the church this morning is because your life feels hopeless and you feel helpless. Maybe, maybe you would say, you know what, my life is a mess. My life's a mess, therefore my family is a mess. And then I, I married somebody that was a mess. I live in a house and their lives are all a mess. And so maybe you walk through the doors this morning thinking, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go to church and I'll walk through the doors and, and all these sweet Christians will have all the answers. We won't. Maybe you're thinking that our lives are different than yours and we have it all figured out yet. We don't. But see, that's the beauty of having a relationship with Jesus. That's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is that we don't have it figured out. And it's through this relationship with Him, as we walk with Him, as we learn about what surrender is and how to give Him more of our lives and that we realize that He... He, he so cares about the details of our lives, things that we don't even think that he, he would even notice. But He does. It's not about religion. It's not about coming to church. It's, it's not about checking boxes. It's about a relationship and a desire to be in the Word because you want to know who God is because maybe you don't have Him figured out. It's about prayer because you want to communicate with the God that would love you enough that he would send his son on the cross, that he so desires to be in a relationship with you that he would give his life to pay the price for your sin just because he wants to be in a relationship with you. And he's alive, he's not dead. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. He's alive. You're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you just pray a simple prayer, something like this. It's just a prayer of surrender. That's all it is. 
And so maybe you just go ahead and tell him right now. So you know what? My life's a mess. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I know it. And I'm confessing that to you. And then to ask him, say, what I need is forgiveness. So I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin. And I'm going to place my trust in you. I believe in you. Jesus, I can't explain it all, but I believe in you. I believe you're alive. And I can't thank you enough for your willingness to give your life on the cross for me. And to the best of my ability, I just want to fully surrender my life to you. Lord, thank you for the beauty of moments like this, Lord. Thank you for uh, Laurie, Lord. Thank you so much for her willingness to share her story, a story of hope. <laughs> you know, Lord, I love what she said. She said, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I'm still breathing, then it just means that you're not done yet. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of every day and this beautiful relationship that we have with you that you don't just get us through our days, Lord, but you give us hope and a purpose. Thank you, Lord. We love you. It's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen.